Good morning. We are in the second message in this series introduced by that video called The Calling. It's a look at the Gospel of Matthew, and we just started, we'll do it over the course of the next year with some breaks, but we're in Matthew chapter 3 this morning, where we pick up where we left off last Sunday morning, if you were here. In the first couple chapters we'll look at at Christmas are the birth narrative of Jesus, uh, but really the ministry of Jesus begins in Matthew chapter 3, where we are, and this message this morning's title is A New obedience, a new obedience. Matthew chapter 3, and we are reading verses uh, 13 through 17. Follow along as I read. Matthew three thirteen through 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me. Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my Son, whom I love and with whom I am well pleased. The Gospel of Matthew, um, it's the first book in your, not only the first book in your New Testament, the way the New Testament was put together, but it was in the early church, in the formative years of the early church, the most widely read of the Gospels and the most frequently used. So if you were sitting around in the early years of the church in the first century, you know, before this was all put together in the way that it is for you and I, one of the most read books was the Gospel of Matthew. And it's worth, you know, uh, highlighting that for a moment to think a couple things. Number one, the very first words of Jesus are in this passage, right? The first couple chapters are the birth narrative. Jesus doesn't talk, right? It's a, it's a, it's a story about his birth. The very first words are verse 15. Those are the first words that Jesus spoke and I think that's significant. And this baptism, right, of Jesus was his introduction into the New Testament. Now, if you think about it, and if you've been in church a while, I hope you'll just slow down for a few minutes because maybe you've read this and it's, you know, uh, many, many times. And think about how unusual this is, right? Matthew is constructing a gospel like all these authors are, right? We believe under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but, you know, they're, they're not writing everything that is said. It's not done in chronological or linear order. Even John said at the end of John's gospel, the, other, the last of the four gospels, he said, listen, if I were to write everything down that Jesus said or did or that was done, the library, the world could not hold all the books. You know, he's sort of saying that as a, maybe as a, as a, as a hyperbole, but to say, listen, I'm going to write down what I think is important. I'm going to construct a gospel that's going to communicate what I most want to communicate. So we know that, that these guys did that. And in this case, Matthew chooses not only to open his gospel, to open the New Testament of all the things he could decide to talk about. He talks about the baptism of Jesus. And you're supposed to see it, I think, in contrast. It's supposed to shock you in a way. If you were here last week, the opening of John chapter 3 is John the Baptist. John the Baptist is sort of the, you know, the, the front runner of Jesus, maybe said, right? We, we, many of them called that. He, he comes because the whole 
people of God and for that matter the world have been waiting, you know, decades and, and, and hundreds of years, millennia for God's promised one, his promised servant, the Messiah, to use an Old Testament word, to show up. So it was such a big deal, such a momentous experience, right, which is why we still celebrate it to this day, Christmas. It was such a big deal that there's this prophet who comes in, the, in, the, in a prophet sort of, um, you know, garb. We talked about it last week. He's a very unusual character, right? He lives out in the woods. He wears a, a leather belt and a, and a, a you know, a, 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 a garment that was, you know, a, a, a animal skin. And he, and he's, you know, sort of eats locusts and wild honey. He's a wild man. And he's, He's, he's sort of cast in the, in the character of an Old Testament prophet. He's a lot like Elijah. And he comes with a message. And his message is in so many words, you know, get your act together, turn your life around, because the promised one is coming. And he said, listen, this is a paraphrase, but it's right there in the text. I'm going to baptize you with water. That's what John does, John the Baptist. He says, but the one coming after me, speaking of Jesus, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And listen, I'm not even worthy to, to, uh, you know, to touch his sandals, you know, we might say in our day. I'm not even worthy to tie his shoes. He's far more important than I am. And when you look at the guy that John the Baptist is, it's almost like saying, listen, if you think I'm a tough character, right? You know, I'm the guy who's, you know, breathing out fire and brimstone in a manner of speaking. The word fire is used two times in his sermon. He's like, get your act together. Here comes the judge kind of a thing. I was joking with my Thursday morning Bible study guys. I was saying, you remember that old, you know, Sammy Davis Jr., here comes the judge thing? And I'm, nobody was old enough to remember that. But anyway, <laughs> point was, this is kind of what John the Baptist is saying, right? Now... After that happens, right, he that is coming is far more powerful than I am. Well, you would assume that would be cast in the characterization of this, you know, tough prophet, John the Baptist. But then comes Jesus, verse 13. And Jesus does not come, as John said, his winnowing fork is in his hand. Right? He, that's a metaphor saying, listen, he's coming to judge people. A winnowing fork is a, is a, is a way to thresh um, wheat. He's saying he doesn't come with his winning, winnowing fork. And what Jesus does is so counterintuitive that John says, what in the world's going on? There's this baptism. We're at the River Jordan. We looked at it. And it says there are people from Judea, from Galilee, from Jerusalem. We don't know how many, but I'm sure it's in the hundreds, if not thousands of people. Okay, and John is baptizing and it says the people were coming out. They were responding to John's message. It was a very popular message and his message was repent. And it says people were confessing their sins publicly. Can you imagine? And then getting into the river and being baptized. And so Jesus comes sort of indiscreetly and he doesn't come and stand on a soapbox. He doesn't come and say, you know, what John said times two. Jesus um, indiscreetly gets in line with all the people that are going to be baptized and all of a sudden, John, verse 13, says, Jesus came from Galilee, and John, all of a sudden, you know, next! And in walks Jesus, right? And John says, in a manner of speaking, what are you doing, Jesus? What are you doing here? Don't you understand what this is about? These are for the sinners. These are all the, you know, the prostitutes and the, and the, and the, and the, and the, and the bank robbers and, the, and the, you know, all the unfaithful people. That's what they're doing here. Jesus, slow down. You're not supposed to be in this water. You're supposed to be out here giving a sermon, and Jesus says, listen, John, let it be so, right? You don't understand what's going on. It's a shock to John. That's what we're supposed to see, right? And it's supposed to be a shock to you and I, right? Jesus' entrance into the New Testament is a shock 
right? And it's a shock for many reasons. But for one reason, in a grand opening of the New Testament reason, it's a shock for this reason. This is my, my point this morning. It's time to change your thinking about God. That's what it's here for, right? Remember, they've been waiting for thousands of years for this revelation to come, and everybody has. There's probably as many visions of who God is, right, in this room as there are people in a manner of speaking. Certainly that's true as you walk outside of, you know, the everyday world where you and I live. And everybody has this sense, right? I, at the end of the service today, we'll do this again. Someone came up to me, this young woman. She said, listen, I got this question for you with my friends in school, et cetera. You know, where is, you know, there's so much evil in the world. Great question. Many of us take our questions and we form some vision of God. God's asleep. God's angry. God's lazy. God's rich. God only likes this color of people. And these, you know, we have all these visions, and what the New Testament wants to say, not just to un the uninitiated, but even to guys like John the Baptist who are church leaders, is you need to change your thinking about God. So much of what you see in the Bible about Jesus, who he is, like this moment, and what he says is designed. It's not a, it's not a mistake. It's designed to challenge your assumptions, right? Many people are away from God because they've never really looked into them. What does the Bible have to say? You're walking around with a vision of God that isn't real. It's a, it's a construct of your own imagination, born out of your own bad experiences, or born out of what you've learned on the street, and that's okay. We all start there. But it's time to change your thinking about God. What do you think about Jesus quickly, right? Well, this, this is how Jesus is introduced in the, Old Testament, in the New Testament. He's, his parents are dirt poor. I say, well, how do you know that, Pastor? Well, I'll tell you why. Because when Jesus was born, we'll look at it in, in December, everyone that's born in the Jewish economy has to bring a, a sacrifice to the temple and it's according to, you know, whether it's a boy or it's a girl, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, the, the, but then if you look at the legislation, if you're dirt poor and you can't bring A, B, C, or D, you can bring the turtle doves because you can pick those up for next to nothing. That's what his parents bring because they're poor. Jesus is from Galilee. That's not a mistake. That's not an oversight. That's not a, you know, an, a gloss. Then Jesus came from Galilee. Well, that might not mean that much to you, but if you were a first century Jewish person, if you read the Jerusalem Times, you'd say, I don't have to read anymore because Galilee's the sticks. Galilee's the wrong side of town. Nobody's sophisticated. Nobody that goes to college. Nobody that knows anything's from Galilee. That's where all the dumb people are from. That's where all the hicks are from. Nobody important would ever live in Galilee, but guess what? That's where he was from, Right? And not only is he from Galilee, not only is he poor, but now to add you know, insult to injury, John's trying to do his job given by God to, to be the forerunner of Jesus. And Jesus gets in line to be baptized with all of the other sinners. What am I saying? What, what's the point, guys? It's not a mistake. Why G This revelation of what Jesus is doing, this moment of Jesus is telling you who he is. It's no mistake. John doesn't get it. John, just go with me for right now. Let it be. It'll make sense to you eventually. It's telling you who Jesus is and why he came. And here's the big idea. He wasn't baptized because he shared our need. That's what John thought. I know you're the son of God. I know you're the promised one. You don't have my problems. You don't have regular people problems. You're not a prostitute. You're not a robber. You're not a sinner. You don't like, get out of the water. But he didn't get baptized because he shares our need. He got baptized in order to meet our 
need, okay? The Bible opens with baptism because it prefigures the cross. When you see people be baptized, and we'll see it here in a couple of weeks, it's that we say this, buried in the likeness of his death, you go underwater as a imagery of identifying with what God did for you and risen to a new way of life, right? He wasn't baptized because he shares our need. He was baptized in order to meet our need. But John is pushing back because it doesn't make any sense. It probably is confusing. He says, let it be because when I'm on the cross in a few years, this is what Jesus is saying, then it will make sense. Then it will make sense. Then the words of the Apostle Paul will make sense when he says this, he was judged for our sin, he was judged in our place, Jesus, so that we might become forgiven and find the righteousness of God in him. He got in line, not because he shares our need, but in order to meet our... Listen, what's the idea? God is not mad at you. Talk to people all the time. He understands your pain. He knows it's a broken world. And while he understands your shame, he knows that every person in this room has feelings in their heart of hearts that there's something wrong with them, right? Not just something wrong that they've done. And he wants to do something about it. And when you believe this, right, that he came to meet your need, when you, res- when you believe this with all of your heart, that's all it takes is belief, you receive this action on your behalf, right? Let it be so. Because he went into the grave, judged for your sin, and he came out so that you might know a different way. And I've had this thought sometimes, I just want to, you know, go to the mall or somewhere, right? And just get a kiosk. And, and, and you know, I'm sure I'd be branded as a nut. And, but, and, and just, you know, put a sign on the top that says, change your thinking about God, let's talk, right? I mean, I'm sure I wouldn't get a lot of takers. But the point is, people have the wrong idea about, you need to change your thinking about God. And that's not just for people who don't go to church. It's for a lot of us. John the Baptist says, Jesus, stop what you're doing. It's not making any sense. We need to change our thinking about God. Second, the most important things in life are available to you, are available to me in Jesus. Hold on to this thought. This is what this passage is about. The most important things in life are available to you and available to me in Jesus. You know, there are, I said this last week, there are, the the Gospel of Matthew has 54, some would say more, citations of the Old Testament and the New. You know, the prophecy was mentioned in Isaiah, mentioned in the book of Deuteronomy, mentioned in the Psalms, and it's fulfilled in the New Testament. There's 54. There's over 200 allusions, more indirect fulfillments, but there are 12 times, listen carefully, 12 times where it's very concrete and wooden. It says, and such and such happened to fulfill what was said by Isaiah the prophet. And such and such happened, Jesus did this, to fulfill what was said by Ezekiel the prophet. And such and such happened to fulfill, very concrete, what was said by David in the Psalms. Now, 12 times amongst all the other ones. In this case, Jesus says this, If John wasn't already confused by the baptism, he becomes more confused here. Jesus says, let it be so. It's proper for us to fulfill all righteousness. 
And I think John's just confused because he's a good Bible student. He says, listen, I know a lot about the prophecies of the Old Testament. There are actually 600, I think, prophecies in the Old Testament fulfilled in the New Testament. A lot! And John says, I've combed through the books of Moses and the Psalms, and I don't know anything that even gets close to the promised Son of God, the promised Messiah, coming to a body of water and being baptized. So you're confusing me by being here, and now you're telling me, using this very pregnant word, fulfill, to say that this is a fulfillment. But here's my point, okay? What is Jesus doing? Has Jesus got a bad memory? Does he not know his Bible very well? No. Jesus is not fulfilling a single prophecy. He's fulfilling all of them, okay? That's what he's doing. Jesus is not fulfilling a single prophecy. I'm going to ride on a donkey. I'm going to be, have my beard ripped out. I'm going to have 12 disciples. I'm going to be from Nazareth. He's not fulfilling a single prophecy. The baptism prefigures the cross. He says, in this act, I'm filling all of them, right? Imagine those of you who are parents in this room, those of you, you know, who have young kids. And if I were to say to you, do you um, prove to me that you love your son or prove to me that you love your daughter? Now, that question might at first seem kind of offensive, right? I mean, it might be like, what do you mean? But let's say I was a friend and you were, prove to me and you might say, uh, uh, okay, if you're not offended, at least you'd probably find it frustrating, right? How can I, because if I, you were to say, well, I, I, I'll, I, well, I brought them into the world and I, 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 uh, I, I paid for their school, I taught them how to ride a bike, I, I, um, I paid for their college, I, you know, I got them out of jail, I mean, whatever the case may be, right? I have done, but any one of the examples that you might give would seem on its face like an understatement, right? Because the real answer to the question it, you know, do I love my son? How do I love my daughter? Is It's the totality of your whole life. See, the parent would say, listen, I can't give you a single example. My whole life of the last 18 years, that's the answer to the question, do I love my son or do I love... That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, John, you get, let this go. You don't understand it now. But baptism figure, prefigures the cross. And in the cross of Jesus Christ... God's sacrifice on behalf of human sin, getting in the water, identifying with sinners. He said, listen, this fulfills. It's the reason God created the world. It's the reason he called this thing called Israel. It's the reason he created human beings. It's the whole purpose for the church. Everything that was said in the Old Testament culminates in one reality. It's the cross of Jesus Christ so that you and I and men and women and black and white and of all different stripes and sizes could come to know the forgiveness of sin. That's what it's all about, right? That's what it's all about. The most important things in life. Now, what are those most important things? Very quickly. As important as the baptism is, the revelation that follows it is even more important. The three most important things in life. This is a short little passage that are available to you are right here. Because of what Jesus has done. Okay, Three things are true in this passage. Let me give you quickly. Heaven is open for business. Right? That's what it says. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened. Guys, this is a public, a public um, experience. This isn't done in some back corner. This isn't done in, 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 the, in some church. This is a public moment, thousands of people, and, and now it's in the opening of the New Testament for a reason. God says, listen, because of what Jesus has done, heaven is open. Number two, 
verse 16. The Spirit of God descends like a dove, right? Heaven is open and God's Spirit has come down to be in your life and to be in my life. And the third thing is God's words, the words of the Father, are heard for all who have ears to hear. This is my Son in whom I love. Uh, whom I love. Uh, for him, with him, I am well pleased. There's so many things, really hundreds of things, passages that come just in this one moment where Jesus is is validated both as the son of God but as the servant of God. All throughout the Old Testament, God is building this narrative to say, listen, the only answer to human problems is not ingenuity, it's not intelligence, it's not religion. It's my son, it's my servant, it's the Messiah. Let me read two passages that I think are coming to head here. Just quickly, I'm not going to say much about them, but they're, they help understand what's happening in the baptism of Jesus. Isaiah 42, just listen. Hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus. Here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight, the Father speaking of the Son, I believe. I will put my spirit on him, That's what happens at the baptism. He will bring justice to the nations. A lot of injustice in the world, isn't there? He will not shout or cry out. Now, here's where his character is painted. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. He's not the guy wearing the sandwich board, no knock. He's not someone who's pointing a finger. It's not who he is. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Those are Old Testament images of bruised reeds. It's, it's kind of grass that grows in marshes, you know. I mean, a duck lands on it and it breaks, right? He's saying, listen, that's not his style. It's not how he is. He's gentle, right? His, his, his yoke is, is light, his, his burden is easy. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged. Isn't that great? Till he establishes justice on the earth. In his teaching, the islands, or all the groups of people, will put their hope. Isaiah 55. You see the word servant here again. There's so many. After he has suffered, baptism prefigures the cross. He will see the light of life, resurrection, and be satisfied. Why is he satisfied? Because he was obedient to God, his Father, and he accomplished the salvation of you and me. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. He will bear their iniquities. Right? This is what the gospel is. God isn't mad at you. God doesn't have a beef with you. Good night. He's got a beef with human sin and he poured it out on his son. Jesus got in line not to because he shares your need, but in order to meet your need. The rest of the Bible, right, and the rest of the Christian life are simply learning how to take these truths. Heaven is open for business. The Spirit of God has come to help you, and God's words are here for you to hear. It's really just taking them to deeper levels. Let me say a couple things quickly about these three. Heaven is open for business for all who are interested in a relationship with God. I heard this interview on the radio this week with um, public radio, with the, 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 the author, uh, uh, David Sheff, who just wrote a, well, no, he wrote a book about 10 years ago. It's just coming out in a movie right now, last week, called Beautiful Boy. 
And it's the true story of him and his son who was hooked on drugs for many years. And it's their, it's their story of, of working through that together. And they were doing an interview now with father and son. The son has been off drugs and sober for five years. And he was talking to them. And she was talking about the story that was the basis of this movie. And she said, you know, I really enjoyed your book. But I noticed in the book that both your son, who went through many rehabs but eventually got help, and you, he went through Al, not his own drug problem, the father, David, his son's name is Nick. He said, you guys had this, you, you give a lot of credit to these recovery programs. And you said in one in the book that these recovery programs are all built on this higher power, right? But you said in the book that you're an atheist and you reject higher powers. And she goes, I just, it was just public radio, just asking you the question. And she said, so how did it work for you? And he said, you know, I, I, I am an atheist. But I found something in this experience that profoundly changed my life. And she said, what was it? She said, prayer. <laughs> she said, really? She said, yes. She said, I he said, I just began to pray. I don't know what, out of just great desperation in my prayer. God, please help me. Please help my son. My prayer of desperation, in a sense, that experience has changed my life. And the, and the, the uh, interviewer said, well, that's really interesting. But, uh, you know, had this obvious question. Like, let me just ask you a question if you don't mind. You know, how is it that you pray and you found such value in it, but you don't believe in God? And this wasn't a religious program. She was just asking this question. And he said, that's a really good question. And he said, all I can say is this, that I guess I was just maybe hoping against hope that somebody out there was listening and that maybe that somebody would help me. Let me tell you something. Maybe that's where you are today, right? But if that's where you are today or you're a Christian pastor or anywhere in between, let me tell you something. Heaven is open for business and God is not mad at you and he wants to hear what you have to say, okay? Second, quickly, the three things that can change your life. The Holy Spirit comes down. We saw that in Isaiah 42, but listen. What happens to Jesus, who in manner of speaking is a, is a model for us, three years later, Acts chapter 2, heaven is open and the Spirit of God comes down in, in, in a corporate way and thousands of people are filled with the Spirit of God, which makes actualizes the truth of God in your life. It helps you do what God has asked you to do. And that truth, that power has been available to people ever, ever since. Let me tell you something. I would not be standing here today if it were not for the Holy Spirit of God. This church and many like it all over the world, the Christian church continues after 2,000 years of problems and, and bad mistakes and bad leaders and all kinds of wars and difficulties. It stands today. It's on the move. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. The Christian church is the fastest growing religion in the world and it's all over the world. And it's still going strong, right? It's not because of smart people. It's not because of marketing. It's because the Holy Spirit of God has come down. And that same spirit is available to every single person who's interested, you and me. I got a letter, email I should say, from someone last Sunday. I'm gonna read it very quickly. Thank you, Pastor Rob, for delivering such a powerful message yesterday to launch our study in Matthew. Yes, only Jesus can give your heart what it truly desires. I mentioned that last week. Believe me, I know. I sat in pews just like these year after year and I was still stuck. I know God can use anything, but he used Celebrate Recovery, ministry we have here on Tuesday nights, to do deep surgery. And he lovingly kept me in that metaphorical halo as I finally began to learn how to let go of my fear and my pride. Right? That's what the Holy Spirit's for. 
I'm writing all this on behalf of innumerable people listening to these amazing sermons, yet paralyzed, not knowing quite where to go next, how to appropriate God's power. Prayer is essential and good, but it's no substitute for peeling back the layers that separate us from God and others. The purpose of the Holy Spirit of God, right? Heaven is open for business. The Holy Spirit is given, which leads to my last point, right? These words from God are for you, okay? Why was this done? Why all the drama? Why the hundreds of people? Is God showing off? Well, let's, let's hit it, you know, to the sound guy in heaven. Turn it up, you know. This is my son, you know, uh, Bruce Almighty. That wasn't the point. The point wasn't so God could show off. The point was to communicate something. This is the opening of the New Testament. That these words are for you. I love you. I believe in you. You are my son. You are my daughter. And I'm pleased with you. These words are for you if you have ears to hear them. As Christians, what happens to Jesus in baptism can happen to every one of us. When we talk about, you've heard pastors say this, I'm in Christ. What does it mean to be in Christ? It means this, that the focus of God's love, the focus of God's affirmation, right? And you, I am well pleased. They come on you. I don't deserve it. We sang about it, right? I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. I'm no better than anyone in this room. But because of Jesus Christ, because I put my faith in him, the love that was communicated in that moment, un, you know, uh, 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 unarguable, clear as a day, you are my son, I love you, I'm pleased with you, that comes to every single person who's in Jesus Christ. That's what, and it's, it's internalizing, by the way, Christians, this isn't just a message for non-Christians, it's in, internalizing that truth. I am loved. God is well pleased with me. That will, it's, it's, that's the basis of every promise there is in Scripture. That's how, all, that's how all righteousness is fulfilled in your life and fulfilled in my life. Last year, a little more than a year ago, there's a woman in this community who was struggling with an, uh, with an addiction problem. And she was struggling, and then she had a child, and she came to a place and said, I just need some help. I need some people. I need some friends. And so she found out about Mothers of Preschoolers. It's, just a, it's a ministry that meets here on Thursdays. And she wasn't a churchgoer here but, or anywhere, but she said, I'm going to go to that thing. I need, some, I need some friends. And she went to it for a season. And then eventually she said, I might try this church thing. And she came to this church and um, came to understand, right? She got some new thinking about God. She understood that God... That she, she spent her whole life, she said, thinking I was so unworthy. I didn't go to church, not because I didn't like it, because I didn't feel worthy. She had wrong thinking about God. And she changed her thinking about God. She surrendered, in a manner of speaking, her heart. And in a couple months into the new year of 2018, she was baptized. And she, with her permission, I want to share this brief story with you. Watch <coughs> your video screen. I was first introduced to the gospel when I was at a Young Life summer camp. 
And then I graduated high school, went to college, and a lot of college was filled with drinking. For some people, alcohol can be a social thing, or it could be something in college, like a phase of your life. But for me, it just cannot ever just be those things. I think at first, I never really cared what the consequences were because it was just me. I had to live with them. Life changed and I cared about my husband and I cared about my kids. And I, I started to care about myself. I finally realized depth of the hurt that I was causing other people. I just thought about what kind of a person lets some something else control the outcome of how their loved ones are treated. When you talk about addiction, um, that's when you're admitting something else is ruling your life. In small steps, I saw the things that God was doing, and he was walking those small steps with me. Laying down my fear and my shame, I welcomed Jesus into my life. I prayed a long time to have courage to surrender, and I finally did surrender. I, I, I surrendered in de December. I said, enough of, of drinking. One of the things that I didn't expect was that I would be a runner. I never ran before. I loathe, loathe exercise of any kind. I thought it would be a good idea. It was a goal and I needed a goal, and it was gonna get me to 30 days or whatever. Like, I, I could have never imagined life being sober, but I feel um, fortified, and I think that comes from um, realizing I'm worthy and that I'm loved. I've seen him change me so much, and I'm so excited to see what else is gonna happen and how my family is gonna change. I'm just so happy that my son, Sam, is, you know, not gonna really know his mom the way she was before. I do think I'm happier, and I think I do have a peace about me. I got baptized because it was like this momentous moment where I had finally done it. I put this in Christ's hands, and I, you know, nailed my sins to the cross with him. I surrender my life. I wanna be washed in those waters and come out clean and pure and live the rest of my life, you know, a new creation. I mean, these promises are unreal. Why wouldn't you say yes? Amen. Yeah. This passage <clears throat> speaks powerfully to the, um, you know, somewhat hard-hearted or um, somewhat spiritually blind believer like John the Baptist, like me, like you. It's time to think differently about God, but it also speaks powerfully to anybody who has never opened their life to the grace of God and the true gospel message, which is not God helps those who help themselves. You know, what I appreciate about Bryn, uh, 
you know, by watching that video, I mean, she's the girl next door. She looks like she's got it together, doesn't she? Why does she look any different than, than the rest of us? But what someone looks like on the outside and what might be going on the inside might be two very different things, which has nothing to do with the car they drive or the kind of house that they live in. The truth is, he was washed not for his sins, but for mine and yours and the world. And when you believe that, you're set free, right? That's the gospel. It's that simple. To as many as believed, to as many as received, I should say, that believed in his name, they are given the power to become the sons and daughters of God, John 1, 12, right? This baptism in Jesus, we see our baptism. So I want to close in prayer right now. Every, uh, every head is bowed, every eye is closed, just a moment of prayer. But I want to give you an opportunity if God's speaking to you in the quiet and privacy of your own seat and heart, you might say, listen, I'm, I'm like Bryn or I'm like David Chef. I've just, I eke out a prayer once in a while and maybe I hope it sticks. But I'm at a place where I'm going to change my thinking about God. I want, to, I, want, I want to take advantage of the three things that are available to me today just because I'm on the planet. Heaven's open for business. The Spirit of God is coming down and coming your way. And God wants to say to you, I love you. You are my son. You are my daughter I am pleased with you. I don't care what anyone else says. I love you and I died for you. That's the meaning of the gospel. And you don't buy it. You don't negotiate it. You receive it. So all you need to do is pray. And this is private in your own heart. But if you'd like to open your life. I did this. (laughs) Church service not too different from this one. 35 years ago. Pray this prayer quietly in your own heart. God and Father, I come to you this morning with a desire to open my life to you with no reservation. You know everything about me. Nothing I do is hidden from you. Yet I've learned today that your love for the world, your love for me, is so great that you sent your son Jesus to die for my sin so that I might be forgiven that I might be free. I surrender my will and open my heart to you today. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. Now, everyone, every head is bowed, every eye is closed. But if you've prayed that prayer, right, I want to pray for you. And just acknowledged by an uplifted hand, I'm not going to call you out, but just put your hand up in this room if you prayed that prayer. Yes, thank you, thank you. Just put it up high up and then you can put it right back down. Thank you very much across this room. Let me pray for you, pray for us. God and Father, we thank you that what we're doing here this morning is, you know, the old gospel message. It's no different than what's been done for thousands of years. Uh, Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. And your love carries through all generations, all people groups, all 
um, history with the same message that heaven is open for business, that the Spirit of God is coming our way, and all we need to do is receive it. I thank you for these uh, men and women students who just uh, maybe opened their lives for the very first time, and I pray that they would, in a manner of speaking, hear, maybe for the first time, the words, your words, that they are your daughter, they are your son, they are your child, that you love them and have always loved them. And with them, <clears throat> you are well pleased. And I pray for the rest of us, Lord, who maybe have been Christians for years, whose hearts have grown cold, whose belief in your love has grown weak, who have felt less like a child and more like an employee. May we hear these words. May we internalize them in our lives to know that you look down from heaven and you see us, not because of our birthright, not because of our, um, what country we live in, <laughs> our neighborhood we live in, but because of Jesus. Because he got in those waters on our behalf. You see us as your sons and your daughters. God, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, before I send you out this morning, a couple things quickly and we're done. I'm asking some of our elders to come forward. and I, We're going to stand here after the service, so we're not keeping everybody. But if you raised your hand this morning, I'd encourage you. This is not like, you know, some secret society. This is the best thing that ever happened to me, okay? And I want you to come forward, talk to one of us. Let us just pray for you, talk with you, encourage you in a way. Take it, many did it last service. It's, 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 it's not a big deal. Bring your friend with you if you want to. Second thing is, if you would say, you know, whether you're a new Christian or you've been one for a long time and have never been baptized, right? Eh, why bother, right? Never saw the purpose of it. In Jesus' baptism, you see the reason for your own, right? Um, we have a baptism coming up on the 11th of November, and there's a number on that screen, one way to do it. If you, uh, that's your style, you can just text the word baptism and it'll get right back to you with some simple information. You can do it now, down your way, you'll drive home and we'll get you some information to help prepare you or do it the old-fashioned way and go to the next steps center on your way out. There's people there, just get some information. And if you need a Bible, okay, um, grab one of those too. We just want to be a help to you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Have a great Sunday.